The Press Box is here to catch you up on the latest media stories. Hosted by Brian Curtis and David Shoemaker, these guys have the insight on the biggest stories you care about. Check out The Press Box on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on Cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. Hello and welcome back to the Stadio Podcast in Ring RC. I'm Issa Kwanga. I'm Ryan Hunt. Ryan, how are you doing? I'm right, thanks man. Long time no see. Yes. <laughs> Very long, long time t- no speak. Indeed, indeed, indeed. How was your day? It was busy. How, how was yours? Yeah, it was busy actually. Um, I wrote an essay. I'm not sure it's going to get published. I hope it's good enough. Oh, get a load of this guy. <laughs> <laughs> <No>. <laughs> it may not get published. Mister, I've done five books and a billion essays in the last three months well, oh, it never just now uh, i don't know you know oh. uh, uh. <laughs> listen i'm not falling for that uh, no i'm good i'm good actually uh no complaints yeah, yeah. nice uh, we hope everyone else is staying safe and well obviously we only spoke yesterday but the season never ends it does not will it ever end it i'm not sure not. it's actually ever or is this technically the season i suppose it's international football so is it the season i don't know there's always more someone tweeted like Oh, it's only a few weeks until this and that tournament. I was just like, stop. Uh, I was like, stop that. Uh, <laughs> stop that. Stop that. Did you know that it's actually only three weeks until the 2023 Champions League final? Yeah, that's the kind of thing someone would tweet. And I'd be like, it reminds me of this football season. It reminds me of when I was doing finals at uni and it did my like final exam. And I didn't tidy up my room because like, you know, when you're studying for finals, you're just like, you're just knackered. I wake, up the, boy. I wake up the next morning, Ryan, in cold terror because I thought I still had an exam. Oh, no. And it's, it, it, oh, I feel, no, and, I hate yeah, that. right. No. And that, yeah, that's, that's the energy. When people go, oh, X and X tournament. I'm like, oh, no, 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 please. No. Let me recharge, no. yeah. Uh, anyway, today, we're just going to keep it brief today. We're going to talk about La Finalissima mm. between Italy and Argentina at Wembley. And we're also going to talk about Ukraine's win over Scotland. Mm. Big deals, both of them. Poland beat Wales as well in the Nations League because the Nations League is back. There's a full round of Nations League fixtures after we're recording this. Ridiculous. However, we are not going to be back until Monday. No. I'm putting my foot down. No, that's wise. A little update on the schedule. We'll do next week and then we'll probably take a couple of weeks off and then come back with Wrighty's House for the Women's Euros predominantly. Stadio will be filling the gaps in between those and then uh, we'll be back into the, the domestic seasons. But yeah, so we'll do 
we'll do two episodes next week and then we'll take probably the rest of June off for Stadio just because we've got to do some other bits and bobs. But Righty's House will be back in the final week in June. So there you go. Some admin on the feed for you. Uh, should we get into it? Let's do it. All right, man. Where would you like to begin? Because two great games of football last night. I think we begin with Ukraine-Scotland. Only just, not because of the game, but the context, I think. Oh, it was huge. So for those who are unaware, Ukraine travelled to, to Hamden Park on Wednesday night for the World Cup playoff game. And this was a game that was obviously been rescheduled from April because of the of Russians, Russia's invasion in Ukraine, of Ukraine. And genuinely quite a strange, surreal feeling around this fixture, I thought. Mm. And uh, shouts to Lee Roden, who I thought <laughs> summed up the feelings perfectly before the game, saying, everyone hates us. Is this what it feels like to be English? <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly... <laughs> So Ukraine winning the game 3-1, a result that they thoroughly deserved. Mm. Should we start with the football? Yeah, because of course. Yeah, yeah, of course. I thought that Ukraine did extremely well in... Do you know what this was a little bit? Sometimes you see basketball games and they talk about the fundamentals. Mm. There was something very fundamental about this Ukraine performance. This isn't to sound patronising or underappreciating what they did by any means. Mm. They really felt that they had quite a simple set of tactical instructions that they executed perfectly. Mm. Yeah. They exploited the gaps in Scotland's lines really, really effectively. Mm. When Scotland sat off them a little bit, they just found the right runs, the space and the passes to really punish them for it. I mean, if you look at the first two goals, the ball down the middle, the great run from Yarmolenko and the control and the finish, that is not a fundamental. No. The process leading up to it was, but that finish was absolutely incredible. Well, I was thinking about this the other day, like, but I hate this to sound again with respect. The quality across that Ukraine front five. It's really good. Yeah, it's, it's, here's the thing. It's extreme. Like at their peak, Malinovsky, for example, has had a breakout season. Well, the year and a half has been brilliant for Atalanta. Zinchenko, Malinovsky is your insides. That's a big deal. That is a creative pairing that can, that can hang with anyone. That will trouble any final third. Like the quality they have from distance, uh, the combination play. So just in terms of the tools Ukraine were working with, they could afford to have that simple plan because they knew you had the quality. This is the thing. There's no need to, when you have players of that quality in attack, you don't have to force it. And that thing that was quite good about Ukraine. They could, it was a strain. I think it was a confident performance for them because, you know, going to Hampden Park, that's a big, big deal. Like those are players mm. who, you know, a lot of the Scotland players were brilliant at Wembley against England. They were outstanding. So actually like, despite the quality Ukraine had, that's a daunting environment. And to their credit, they just, they just took the heat out of it. It was like a classic, you know, it was like a classic old school Champions League away performance. Yeah. They were just really decisive in certain areas of the part that where Scotland weren't. Yeah, yeah. They somehow managed to sit deep or attempt to sit deep, but then the gap between the midfield and the back line was so big mm. that it just allowed Ukraine to have loads of time on the ball leading up to the Scotland box and also somehow managing to hit them over the top. Right, right. Do you know what I mean? It should so never it happen. Like, it should never happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if you're going to press high and you're going to really squeeze the lines and then like push push defences on their back on their own back line, then you kind of you're going to be aware that they're going to try and ping you over the top. But to not really squeeze them in their own defensive third, yeah, or nor in midfield, 
and then still somehow get hit over the top for the first goal. Shouldn't be that space. That space shouldn't it exist. Shouldn't be. Yeah. It, shouldn't, it shouldn't exist. Like I said, I think the process leading up to the goals was actually quite simple. But both both of the opening two goals for, for Ukraine were were brilliant finishes. Um, but also I think for Scotland, it just shows, I mean, you've got a lot of players in that squad who have played a lot of football this season. I know Ukraine, the Ukraine players have as well, but I mean, you know, Andrew Robertson coming a few days off the back of a Champions League final. Psychologically, God knows where he was at that point. Well, I'm, he's a professional, but still just exhausting. But also I'm not going to pretend to have watched Scotland with as close an eye as, as many, many, many other people who would listen to this podcast, but I just feel like this is a prime example of how important Kieran Tierney is to that side. Mm. Just in terms of making everything click. Uh, without him, I mean, he was he was really missed, I thought. Well, that channel um, where the goal comes, the over-the-top ball, yeah. that's the organisation where he might be a left centre-back and you've got him and Robertson on that flank. That flank. Both goals, actually. The first opening goals, because the, the yeah. second goal, Yaremchuk's uh, goal, comes from Karaveyev, not really... He doesn't, ha- he doesn't have like a huge amount of time, but he's not really under any pressure to ping the ball in. Mm. And Yaremchuk's header, like Ali McCoist actually did a really good job of highlighting this on, on, on the Sky commentary where it's just really, again, fundamental centre forward play in the box. He's in the centre of the, he's in the centre of the box. He takes a couple of steps and then he pulls out a little bit, creates that mismatch. The ball's really good, but the header. Angle is brilliant. Yeah is incredible. Like, so both executions in the first, or like both, com- like both finishes for those opening two goals were just amazing. They were excellent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But Scotland, I think, will look back on both of those goals and be like, we really should have done better on both of these. So I do think they were avoidable. And the timing of the goals as well, just coming at really comfortable times for Ukraine. They could really manage the game well. You know, the thing about this game, it's interesting. The only thing, the only moment where they looked a bit stressed actually was self-inflicted. Bushchan, the last mm. 20 minutes of the game, looked exceptionally nervous, like the clearances, um, and then he made a poor attempt at a clearance, which ended up in the goal for uh, Scotland, made them chase the game a little, and he put them in trouble, I think, more than he should have done. But to me, that reflected more the atmosphere, you know, because if you think about the goalkeeper, Mm. right, for any team, that's the most isolated player. So that's actually where a combination of the stadium atmosphere and the enormity of the occasion get to you. And I think it, it does bear repeating the conditions under which Ukraine are playing this game Many will have relatives or friends mm. in regions directly affected by the war and not just like, you know, it's like close to the Polish border, but any, frank, frankly, anyone from Ukraine is going through it. Yep. And if you look at the city of Mariupol, you read a, I read a report the other day where one of the people involved in basically like identifying or trying to clear out the bodies or, you know, bring the bodies to some form of dignity, a Ukrainian man said, you know, that death tolls about 50,000. Jesus that's an Christ. astonishing, that's, that's a stadium. That's a stadium full of supporters, you know, killed in three months the war has been. That is what people in Ukraine are going through. And the context of just how important this is, I mean, here's a, the sad thing is this is almost too important. Mm. It's almost too important yeah. because the, the challenge that Ukraine have got is they've got to keep people talking about the conflict because after the first few months of empathy and people showing Ukraine flags, people start drifting away. Naturally, human beings adjust to a state of, they normalise stuff. And it's what has been so important for Ukraine to win uh, and Yarmolenko to keep excelling and Zacheco to keep scoring because it keeps Ukraine on people's lips. They talk about the, the game, they talk about the war, and then they can put pressure on for more help uh, defending themselves against the fascist invasion, basically. And this is why, you know, 
it's, it's like one of these interesting things they say footballs that of all the things that don't matter it's the most important yeah. and it, but it does matter because this keeps them in people's minds well, we did that episode yeah. the, the paradox of football's importance and that's yeah. literally what it is it's, it's, it's it is all and nothing it is yeah. the most important thing and the least important thing it's uh, it can be Schrodinger's football yeah. yeah borderline religious in terms of it's it's Intensity um, and yeah, and, yeah, loyalty, but also yeah. it's essentially a hobby. It's yeah. a pastime, and I think things like this and instances like this, like yeah, the game is almost secondary. Mm. Scotland will be deeply disappointed with this because I think they were also. I think I have a lot of sympathy for Scotland in this case because it's a really difficult scenario to go into. It's not like a normal game. It's not no, like no, no. just a. There is this whole other element at play with Ukraine. But even that, even that though, here's the thing with Scotland. Like on even from a footballing point of view. They haven't been back to the World Cup for a very long time. Yeah. The problem they have is that they just didn't, this is awful to say, they don't have the tools. Like if you just look mm. at those teams on paper, you're like, it's going to take a lot. Because even the players in the Ukraine team that aren't as well known as Zinchenko, Yarmolenko, uh, Yeremchuk to a certain extent, they still play together. They've got a lot of chemistry, right? So that, mm. that's effectively like one of the world's most advanced, you know, those five-a-side teams that play week in, week out together and they know each other's games inside out. Ukraine effectively have that level of solidarity and understanding each other's games. You look at the, the team that Scotland had out, they don't really have the tools to hurt a Ukraine that comes out and plays. Even if Ukraine play at 80% of their full potential, they've got too much for Scotland in an attacking context. That's not an insult to Scotland, it's more attacking context. And this is why the Wales game is interesting because Wales do have those tools, actually. Mm. Wales do have that experience. They're fearless. They've got players who've excelled at the highest level and they're driven by Gareth Bale, who is fully fit and who is desperate for that. That is an extreme... Gareth Bale signs for Wales. <laughs> that, that is... <laughs> that is... I mean, they've got Bale who is absolutely locked in and who is performing heroics. I mean, Gareth Bale is, is a fascinating character. He's someone who can operate a peak performance despite being, frankly, just like on the sidelines, well, on the sidelines for like you know, months. I mean, they yeah. won the Champions League. This is the thing, Real Madrid, with one of the greatest, they have one of the greatest counter-attacking forwards of all time, and they kept him on the bench while winning the Champions League with one of the greatest counter-attacking performances of all time. But that, that, is, that is how gangster Ancelotti actually is. That's how like... With, with Danny Ceballos on the bench with Danny at full time. <laughs> but yeah, so that, that, but that Wales are going to present, um, I think, a much tougher proposition mm. just because of what they have in attack, I would say. A couple of really great pieces I'd recommend reading. Adam Crafton did a great piece for The Athletic. He's been, uh, he's been excellent, yeah. What Ukraine's miracle win over Scotland means to the refugees living in Glasgow. And Jonathan Liu wrote an unbelievable piece for The Guardian. It's outstanding, that, yeah. Brilliant pieces. I'd recommend going and reading them. Quickly, though, on this, Opta posted a stat saying Scotland were unbeaten in 12 home games at Hampden Park coming into this game, winning eight, drawing four. Ukraine have ended Scotland's longest home unbeaten run since May. 1978, which was 16 games. This is, it was an extreme. It was an extremely tough fixture for Ukraine. They just seemed extremely accomplished, considering that you know the the uncertainty around a number of things f with regarding the national side as well over the last few months. Mm. I think the fact that they were, they, you know, they had that moment. They had their moments after the Scotland goal, where obviously Scotland were pushing, and then they hit him on the counter attack right at the end. But I just thought that they were, they felt felt like they were just a lot more in tune and a lot more ready, weirdly. Well, this is the concern. Which seems unbelievable. Uh, well, yes and no, because I think, I, I know what you mean, at the same time, they were so locked in for this fixture. 
the, 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 I suppose the challenge for Wales is, apart from Bush Chan's existential last 20 minutes, there's no obvious place, and he won't be doing that in the next fixture because he'll iron that out, but, you know, and people learn, but there's no obvious weakness with this Ukraine team. Like, it's just very, very well organised. It's very, very tight. You look at, Wales looking at this game won't be like, oh yeah, they're, they're soft on set pieces. Well, they're not. Um, they can play with the ball in front of them. They can play with the game in front of them. They can play on the counter and they can occupy your final third if they need to. So it's... Uh, also, the, the way that their wide forwards kind of in. inverted at times as well during that game, I think it just caused pro- Scotland loads of problems. The I think they'll do the same thing to, the, to Wales. But yeah, I yeah, just yeah. think Wales are a little bit more solid throughout. That's a very fluid... That four behind Yeremchuk uh, mm. is fascinating, isn't it? Like, they could technically mm. all play any of the four positions, actually. They could all come I in I love around. Sinchenko in midfield as well. I love actually. it, love it. I, I think he, mm. he's the kind of player that needs to touch the ball as much as possible. I think he's yeah. superb, yeah. yeah. Um, so congratulations to Ukraine and commiserations to Scotland. But um, yeah, Ukraine play Wales on Sunday for a place in the World Cup, which is frankly wild. I mean, part of me wants them both to go, to be honest, but you know. Oh, I just want everyone to go. Everyone go. Um, obviously, Wales losing to Poland as well. Yeah, Johnny Williams took the lead for Wales with a lovely goal and Jakub Kaminski got them back into it and uh, Swiderski got the winner five minutes from time for, for Poland. Oh, great. So they are top of the UEFA Nations League A Group 4. Good times. Let's take a quick break. Let's do it. All right, well, let's go to Wembley because... Oof, what a game this was. Italy 0, Argentina 3 in La Finalissima. Sounds so fancy. Sounds so finalissima. Sounds so fancy. Which is essentially like a revived fixture between the winner of the Copa America and the winner of the Euros. I like it. I have to admit, I loved it. It's a vibe. Sorry, it's a Italy vibe. against Argentina under the lights at Wembley Stadium. And they brought a proper lineup summer. as well. They both brought proper lineups. Yeah, I mean, they both wanted to win the game. Yeah, like, yeah. this was legit. They weren't clowning. Um, they weren't clowning. And Wembley was packed. Apparently, that uh, the tickets were very reasonably priced. And it just seemed like an amazing occasion. It was very loud. <laughs> Dare I say, Argentina fans never need much of an excuse for a football party. Oh, yeah. No, tell me about it. <laughs> Arch- absolutely amazing. You know, the... Uh, they estimated in Rio that day of the fight, they had like 120,000. They, they just descended yeah. upon Rio. <laughs> Amazing. We got treated to a bit of a vintage Lionel Messi performance as well, which I thought was kind of symbolic in a way. This it sca- really this felt symbolic. Leo Messi like yeah. this, he scares me. Playmaker Messi really scares me. Playmaker Messi hasn't got to do everything. Messi's like, ah, oh, I don't have to score today. Mm. I don't have to score today. And there was a moment in the game, it was really funny. I can't remember, it was in the halfway line and um, because Messi's not as quick as he used to be. So there's one bit where one of the opposition player, one of the Italian players gets him and it's almost like it's kind of, oh wow, like you're not going to, I can still pull your shirt. You're still within range. <laughs> there was that, uh, there was one of the, another, you know, Emily Oram does the, the Matisse moments. There was another one with Messi just surrounded by five Italian players. Amazing. And it could have been from 2011. Or from 1986. That famous Ooh, picture, the, the, the famous, yeah, yeah, 80, yeah. the 82 one with Maradona when he gets it just after a free kick and everyone's just like, oh my God. <laughs> there, there was, the thing about Messi in this game, actually, let me just talk about Argentina. So Let's talk about Argentina first because Argentina I think like, Messi was integral to the goals, by, well, to Argentina winning, but I think that they were just so... The way they lined it's, up. Do you know what, it's, it's, it started with Di Maria 
trying to ping that one from just inside the Italy half, right? Like early on. And I was like, Argentina be business here. Talking about Di Maria, can we just say, can, can, uh, with all respect to um, Argentina, can you wrap this man in cotton wool until December, until November? Please, because this man's fitness is integral. The thing about the thing about the um, the Argentina team, just very quickly, in terms of the way they set up, this four three two one, I love it. it. I love it. Everyone is exactly where they should be. Everyone's happy. Messi looks behind him, so does Di Maria, and they've got that bank of three. And that's no ordinary three. Like Rodrigo de Pau is slightly unused, I would say, by um, Simeone this season. Uh, but oh, I don't know. Yeah. Well, in terms of his potential, in terms of what he can do, in terms of how I don't think he's unlocked what he can do. I think that that this 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 midfield, the Celso Rodriguez de Pau, I love it. I think it is so solid, and it's not just solid; it has creativity. So they can defend, they can press the Celso in that gang, they can press, and we saw the Celso in the Champions League, what he can do, but they can press, they can be um, impressive in that sense, but they can also play the through pass. And Messi hasn't had a supporting cast, I think, quite this good. He, he's had, you know, he has, you know we, we saw in 2014, he had that team went to the final with, but I look at this team and I, I think it's actually better, to be honest. I think it's better overall. I think it's better balanced because you also have- I think it's better balanced, And Lataro Martinez, he has really emerged this year. This is the beauty of the the goal scoring burden. There's other players in this team that can contribute decisively. And I don't don't mean in the 4-0 wins and the group stages. I mean, there's players in this team. There are match winners. There's maybe like, what, four match winners in that team? Yeah, and I also think that the people who can step up in leadership role ex- like outside of actually winning the game yes. by creating and scoring is is deeper than it has been for a long time in Argentina because I think there's agree. so many people in like 2010 and 2014 were just looking to Messi to just to, to drag them along, even yes. the more experienced players. And I think now, for example, like... Emmy Martinez. This way, if some, if some, exactly. If something kicked off, Emmy Martinez would be there and just be like, move. Yeah. You got look you at know, you got, look at the leaders. Emmy Martinez, Depau, Romero. I know Otamendi can be existential, but he's a leader, right? He's tough. Talia Fico, like that is a some experienced heads in there. Really, I really like this Argentina team. I really, really yeah, like I do, it. Actually. <laughs> and I think this they're, they're dangerous. I saw this win, and I'm like, actually, this lot. Are, well, I said this before. Like they're a dangerous team. Like they have, they've got guts, they've got technique, um, and they've got solidarity. This team really fights for each other. You see from the way they celebrate goals. And also what I love about this game is like, Di Maria's like chipped finish is almost becoming like a parody. It's almost, it's so brilliant. It's so like, no, no, no high level game is complete without a Di Maria decisive chipped finish. We saw it in the Copa America. We saw it at Wembley. He's, Put it this way, I think all of the all of the all of the goals and the whole occasion uh, on Wednesday felt hype. Uh, I watched the game live on the zone in Germany and mm. then rewatched the highlights, which had Peter Drury on commentary. Mm. And Peter Drury was in full Peter Drury mode for all of the goals. He's so good in commentary. It's amazing with commentary like that. But the opening goal, for example, I think Italy have a shout for the for a foul. There. Okay. I genuinely believe. I, I mean, I know it went to VAR and they didn't mm. give it, but I think it's probably a foul. Mm. But then after that, Messi kind of digging his heels in and turning, using his body, getting down to the byline, cutting it back. Messi's turn is so brilliant, isn't it? This because- is a vintage, like this is a vintage Messi Barcelona move. 
the way they spin off him, it's, they can't, there's that terrible thing with Messi where like, if you don't get tight enough, he'll put the passing behind you. If you get too tight, he'll spin you and destroy you. It's, you have to pick your poison. So of course, two or three of them get tight at once and then he just, he's gone. And the thing I love about the decision-making for Messi in the final third is a lot of players that they shoot for the near post, but Messi was like, there's absolutely no way I'm putting this anywhere but right in the mix. Uh, here's the, I mean, we, you know, it's Messi. He's probably the greatest of all time, but he does it so often that we forget the quality of the decision-making. There's so many times in the game in midfield where he's playing basically as an eight, like a David Silva type eight under um, Pep, where he just pops the ball into gaps where there's like two players coming across and Messi would just knock it in field, like a tiny five-yard angled pass. I mean, I could watch a compilation of just Messi passes in the final third where he knocks the ball between two players into space. It's just mm. unbelievable how often he did that in that game. And Italy couldn't, they couldn't live with it. No, they couldn't at all. The second goal, for example, just before halftime was such a killer for Italy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you mentioned the chip from Di Maria, but I think that like all of the momentum had been, well, I don't say all of the momentum have been with Argentina the entire game. I think the opening 20 minutes or so, Italy had some real, really good moments. Mm. And that actually that first 20 minutes, it really felt like an occasion. A game that mattered. Yeah, this is, this is, yeah, the, this, is yeah. this is really, this is something that they, the, the UEFA, for all of the stuff that we've slagged them off about recently, a couple of things that they've got super right over the last couple of years, adding intensity to certain games. games yeah, the, UA, the Nations yeah. League is brilliant. Essentially creating a Super Cup or re- reviving a Super Cup with something like this. It's, it's quite, it's quite a smart move, actually. Mm. The pro argument for the, the, biennial World Cup thing is that you get to see potentially matchups like this more often. However, just adding one of the fixture like this every four years or two years or whenever it would be, it would be four, wouldn't it, because of the Euros, I think is really cool because it just, it adds a sense of occasion to it. And I think that's the thing that makes these fixtures so special. As soon as they become too regular, they start to feel a bit, what's the word, like a bit of an effort. They do. And also and, this, I mean, this also, this game came at the perfect time. But maybe it might just be the, sorry, it might be the sense of novelty as well with this. Maybe, but I don't know. I think it's something else because this game came at the perfect time for both. Well, like, not, for, not for Italy, I don't think, but came at the perfect time for Argentina. Mm. It's a perfect kind of heat check for them. You know, we saw Argentina players going deep in the Champions League. So we saw them like getting battle hard and we saw them in the Copa. If you look at this last few months, it feels to me like so many Argentina players have kind of, sounds patronizing. No, no, come of age. They've come of age yeah. in terms of their ability to execute at the absolute elite level. You know, so Rodrigo de Pau going from Udinese to Atletico Madrid, Atleti, that's a step up, right? And just in terms of intensity of attention on you. Winning the Copa, Emi Martinez winning the Copa, Villarreal going deep in the Champions League with the Celso and co. These all feel like really important milestones. Like this, this Argentina was really building something and now Messi can look around and be like, I mean, that's the symbolic moment. Messi could look around in the Copa and his team could carry him to victory. There's that amazing moment when Messi gets a chance late on, Argentina won all up in the Copa final and he doesn't score it, it gets saved or he misses a comment exactly. But I remember thinking, the beauty of that is Messi takes that knowing he hasn't got to score it. Mm. There's no need for heroics. And it's very symbolic that they won that Copa and they won this without Messi having to grace the score sheet. Because, you know, for me, I've always said, we've always said this, Messi's primarily a passer. He's like LeBron James. Like he scores if he has to, he plays hero ball if he has to, but he'd rather not. There's a moment actually in the second half when Messi's going through on goal, it's a counter and he's looking left, right, left, right. Then he hits a shot and the shot is parried wide at the end because it's, a, mm. it's an easy save, but it's like- Is that that five on three? Yeah. And it's like, it's the least, he's, Messi <laughs> took it and it was, it was the last thing he wanted to do. 
It's he good to see Messi scampering. Oh yeah, it's great. Yeah, because he's still got gas. He's still got gas. Yeah. He's not as quick, but he's still got a bit. Uh, Dybala comes on, scores the third, obviously, yep. and seals it right at the end for for Argentina. But yeah, I think that there was a, <laughs> there were a few moments though where Messi was just like, okay, yeah, he's really going for the goal now. He kind of knows that this is in the bag. He's mm. he's been involved in a really good Argentina performance. And the like, curling strike starts coming up into the box. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. <laughs> and the kind of I was just like, oh, I think that was one free kick that he hit into the Argentina wall that was in front of the Italy wall as well. <laughs> Can we talk about the Di Maria volley from the Messi corner? Oh, oh, oh my, my god! god. Right. This would have been oh my god, one of the best goals I've ever seen. I mean, now that, now that, now that, I think be afraid, be very afraid, because Di Maria's now left PSG, right? So he's like in a state Where's of he grace. Go. That's the thing. He should just well into cotton wool, like I said. I mean, but like that's well, I'd love to see him at Letty. He'll never do it because he's right, around, but yeah, but still. But that kind and also of, the last thing at Letty lead is another attacking player trying to figure out where they fit. <laughs> <laughs> Just play him everywhere. I suppose Juve, isn't it? I think Juve is the shout. He's such an amazing player, Di Maria. This thing you can instantly put him anywhere. Just go back to Real. I'd rather see him at Inter. Go back, go back to Real. <laughs> I thought this. You no, know. actually, I that, thought this. You know. Do you know what Di Maria back at Real would be incredible? I'd love that, Ryan. I'd love to see that. He's worked with Ancelotti there. It's a perfect fit. Yeah, he played in the midfield under him. Like, he loves him. Like, oh my gosh, that's scary. I'm, I'm almost brought a tear to my eye. But yeah, that volley, the, so yeah, Messi just chips it to the back of the area, floats back of area, and Di Maria meets it so cleanly. He meets it so good. even more cleanly on the Robin one that everyone talks about. It was, he lashes yeah, yeah. He absolutely lashes it. There was that amazing angle from right behind him, which shows like the trajectory of the volley. And if it was literally two or three feet either side of Donnarumma, I think that's in. <laughs> he is locked in. Yeah, so exciting times for Argentina, I think. Very exciting. It was really good. I mean, Italy, they're in a bit of a pickle at the moment. I know they were missing some players as well, and it's kind of humiliating, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It, is. it is, it is. Without question. They're in a bit of a funk at the moment, and they need to figure it out, because they've got a lot of, they've got a crop of really good young players coming through, yeah. and they've got these older players who are you know, like people like Chiellini, it's going to be interesting to see how long they hang around for in terms of that setup. But also then they, they're missing one of their key players in Chiesa. Yeah. And, and I think that it's hard to judge what the future looks like without it's weird well, with because so, many, so many people missing. Everyone said Euro 2020 for Italy was like a rebuild, right? The culmination of a project. They don't qualify for the World Cup, but it's almost like they won the Euros and they were ahead of schedule. And then we said with Chelsea, like how Chelsea winning the Champions League put them ahead of schedule. And now they're, now they're behind schedule again, slightly behind, but they're slightly behind. Um, and I feel the same with Italy. It's almost like they're par, they're exactly where they should be at this point in their evolution. Well, I, I joked about it on the podcast and I said, them missing out on the World Cup just means they're going to win Euro 2024. That's what happened last time. Of course. I mean, of course. It's, missed, it, out the last, missed, out on, missed out on Russia. Do you know what I love about Italy and international tournaments? And I think we've talked to Ian about this before as well, where people are like, oh, what have they got? And Ian's just like, they're Italy. Like, <laughs> if Italy get into the room, everyone in the room is in trouble. You just got to make sure that they don't enter the yeah. room in the first place. <laughs> they had a couple of good opportunities as well. There was that one uh, deflected up and, uh, and there was a header that just went over and was it Skamaka had that one, but he was offside anyway. I love Skamaka as a player, by the way. He's I've, great, watching, I've, been, I've had a chance to watch him a bit more this year. He's going to do big things, Skamaka. Anything else on this game you want to touch on? Uh, no, I think it's all good. I'm all good. Yeah, I'm really into this fixture. I love it. I wasn't expecting to enjoy it as much as I thought. Well, I didn't, I t- I didn't, didn't see an invitation in my inbox uh, to the game, but you know, I'm not, not bitter about that. I mean, you clearly are, otherwise you wouldn't have brought it up. Well, 
why are you entitled to get invited to I didn't all say these I was games? In, I didn't say I was entitled. I'm just saying. I didn't well, you're say acting I'm... a little bit entitled. Well, I'm not gonna lie. well. Now someone's won a couple of awards. So wow. Hashtag award season, hashtag <laughs> festival season. Wow, wow. I've changed. The last time I saw Musa, everyone, right, which was <laughs> before he won this award and before he started doing all the festival circuit, <laughs> he would ha- wear his roll necks outwards. <laughs> he's now tucking them in because of something about holding it all together when he's clearly not holding it together himself because he now feels like he's entitled to <laughs> just rock up to Wembley and go to all of these games. <laughs> Unbelievable behavior. Listen, you don't ask, you don't get. It's the hinge that squeaks that gets the grease. <laughs> <laughs> A couple of other things you want to touch on. Some other transfer stuff going on. Uh, on that note, actually, if there's any like unbelievable earth shattering transfer stuff over the summer we'll jump on and do a bonus stadio. Juan Mata is the latest Manchester United player to to leave the club it looks like Frankie Dion has quashed rumours of this Manchester United link which I never really bought anyway to be honest well here's the thing like if they did have to sell him it would, if they sold him it would only be financial necessity mm. the player wants to stay the coach wants him to stay and frankly like it's about time his career resumes the level it should be at you know, it resumes the level. He'll have Champions League football with Barcelona if they can keep him. Hopefully they can. Because Frankie de Jong, frankly, has lost the last two and a half years. Like, he's been in the wrong kind of configuration for his talents. In my opinion, he's played too far forward. We said this a thousand times. And he's had the wrong setup. And if he gets the right setup around him, then he's going to be extraordinary again. And I, I just feel a bit, I feel a bit bad that Frankie de Jong's been such a bad setup for his talents that I've heard people doubting him in a way I never thought they'd hear, I'd hear him doubt him. Mm. I'd never, I'd never thought I'd hear that yet. Ben Mee looks like he's set to leave Burnley. And I, I wrote a thing about this early saying that I think he would be a really, really good piece for a top half Premier League side to pick up because he's not going to be expensive. He's obviously on, available on a free transfer. Mm. I can't imagine his wages are going to be astronomical. And very experienced head who seems like a good dressing room guy. Yeah, yeah. He's a great signing, I think. Yeah. You know, I think if you're a top six club and you're looking for some depth, he's not going to be a regular starter for you. Mm. I don't think. Well, just say Arsenal. Say it. Speak it into. But no, because I think that actually, if you look at who could do with a, another centre-back, yeah. not necessarily straight into the starting eleven, but for, for depth, yeah, I think that entire top six could do with one. Isn't it funny how, is it just me or have centre-backs been in a position of unusual amounts of injury and instability? I'm not sure. Is it because they've got more to do? Or maybe it's just me, maybe I'm just noticing it more because I see so many, you know, so many like defensive injuries. Mm. Maybe I'm noticing it more, but maybe it's because, I don't know, it's anecdotal. Is it because they've got more to do with the high lines and the tracking back and the regular sprints? It just feels like that's a position which requires more cover than it used to. I don't know. Uh, I don't know. Maybe it's anecdotal. Maybe. Just the thing that I feel. I think it's just rotation as well, though, because it's such a it's such a hard piece to rotate mm. centre half because so much of it relies on a pairing. Yeah, right, right, the right. Understanding between yeah. a pairing. I mean, we saw how much Liverpool struggled last season when they had all of those injuries, didn't they have like 19 different com- centre-back configurations or something throughout the season? It was something wild yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's really hard to get into a rhythm. I think so much of that understanding and communication along a back line relies on chemistry and, and relationship building. Mm. If you're constantly swapping in and out, I think it's easier to do that further up the pitch. But I think he'd be a great piece to pick up for someone who's very good centre-back. Seems like a really good dude. You know, he's been outspoken on some really good, like really important yeah, stuff yeah. over a, the a last couple times, of years yeah. as well. Yeah, And... I don't know. I think, you know, he's 32. I didn't mention Arsenal, but I said they were unnamed on the tweet. A lot of people might initially be like, hang on a minute, a guy who was a centre-back for a side who went down, not really known for playing the kind of football that Arsenal would want to play. But I think there's a different element of experience that comes into being in a side who is constantly defending. Yeah. I'd put even Spurs in this because I don't think, I think 
I genuinely think that you could look at like West Ham, Spurs, Manchester United and Arsenal potentially as people who, to be honest, someone replied to it saying Chelsea could do with them for depth. Yeah, oh, def- oh my goodness, Chelsea have been hemorrhaging. And I think that a lot of people might hear that and be like, what the hell are you talking about? But it doesn't really take up any of the funds that you need to go and sign players to add to the strength of the starting eleven. Mm. especially if you've got a load of young centre-backs. That kind of experience there, I think, would just be really handy. Have we said this before, but the con- the concept of mocking players or being unsure about players who've gone down, that feels like more of a I mean, British Aaron, or English thing. Aaron Ramsdale, you, you look, he got relegated with Sheffield United. Exactly, because you, you look at like Europe. Europe, it's not uncommon. Like I think Sandro Tonali, his team went down and then Milan picked him up. And it was just like, it wasn't even a big deal. Like that, that's a thing that happens much more, I think, in the content where it's not so frowned upon. I think someone like Ben Mee would be a great pickup for, for a top half Premier League side or a top third Premier League side, for sure. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's, I not, it's not like Man City are going to go and get him or Liverpool are going to go and get him. But I think anyone else of that, that lot, yeah, yeah. As, a, as someone who could potentially come on for the last 20 minutes in the game that you're protecting the lead or play some cut games or be a good dressing yeah, yeah. room guy, I think I assume, I don't, I don't know what his wages were at Burnley, but I assume they're not astronomical. Seems I like pretty that sensible shot. to me. I like it a lot, yeah. And the same with James Tarkovsky as well. James Tarkovsky looks like he's going to be off as well, which is a real shame for Burnley losing those two pieces because they're both great players for the club. But I think, again, there'll be a lot of Premier League clubs looking at Tarkovsky. They're good players, man. Yeah, yeah very good. Uh, anything else we want to touch on today or should we leave it for now? Uh, yeah, we leave it... Um yeah, that's all done. There's obviously been a little bit more fallout with the Liverpool stuff. Um, it turns out that there wasn't, after all, 40,000 fake tickets, but merely a few hundred, potentially just a couple of thousand, which is so commonplace at any large sporting event like this that it's not even, it doesn't, it's not even newsworthy. Right. Good on everyone who is holding the authorities to account on this. There's been some incredible work done by num- numerous journalists on this, and that continues to go on. And the UEFA have commissioned an independent review of what's been going on. So we'll keep an eye on that and re- revisit that when stuff comes out a little bit more officially. But yeah, there's lots of stuff rolling on about that, the situation at the weekend. And the thing that we didn't touch on, which has come to light since then, is the accounts from Real Madrid fans as well, who reported many similar things that what happened to Liverpool fans, but just it's especially in terms of the lack of police presence post-game, mm. being robbed, stuff like this. Loads going on with that. Mm. Should we wrap it there? Yeah, I think we're good. I think we're good. We have covered the main action on and off the field. I hope everyone in the UK is enjoying their mega jubilee bank holiday, which, uh, you know, we should get some days off. <laughs> yeah, I will not be enjoying that because I'm, I'm uh, returning. Well, we've all seen you with your Union Jack umbrella. <laughs> that was classic. So yeah, I was um, at a private function the other day and the rain became clattering down. So I ran into the nearest store. And the owner brother got this massive like Union Jack golf umbrella. So I come out and all of a sudden like a sort of government minister. <laughs> Unbelievable. Yeah. Didn't I look like the minister for like exiting the European Union or something? I was just like, oh my goodness. <laughs> all right. Don't forget everyone. Monday is a what if episode. So if you haven't sent in any what ifs yet and you want to send one in, hello at stadio.football on the email at stadio football, uh, sorry, at stadio on Twitter. Check out Stadio Outros playlist on Spotify. Just search for Stadio Outros, the newest ones at the top. Speaking of which, playing out on Errol Bellot. What a wonderful feeling. Because doing a podcast with you, Bruce, oh no, here he, I knew is it. a no, wonderful God. feeling. We've actually changed. We've changed personality. Shut up. You're pandering. I'm Shut not pandering. Anymore. I'm not pandering. 
I'm lying. It's the same thing. <laughs> Anything you want to ask me, Sokonga? No more populism this week. No, nothing from me. Lovely. All right, everyone. Have a lovely weekend. Much love. We'll be back on Monday. See you then. Now I